This episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast is brought to you by Inhaled Insulin. Fast in, fast out, fits your lifestyle. Hey there, welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman. On this episode of the podcast, I have a special guest. My guest is Aaron Kowalski. Aaron is the president and CEO of JDRF, the global leader in type 1 diabetes research and advocacy. Not only is Aaron an internationally recognized scientific expert in T1D research, but he's also been living with type 1 diabetes for over 35 years. So he gets it both personally and professionally. Aaron is also an avid runner. And that's what our conversation focuses on today. How Aaron runs with T1D and how it's helpful for his mental health, but also how he manages his diabetes as he's running with T1D. And so without further ado, here's my conversation with Aaron Kowalski. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Likewise. You bet. So why don't you give us a little introduction to yourself? I know that you have a long history with type 1 diabetes and you and your family and also your work. So tell us a little bit about what, who you are and what you do. Sure. Well, uh, here I am, uh, CEO at JDRF, but my type 1 history uh, goes way, way back. My brother, Steve, I'm the oldest of six kids, and my brother, Steve, is the second oldest, uh, was diagnosed with type 1 at age 3. That's back in 77, amazingly. So it's been a long road. Uh, No history of type 1, like many families. uh, Pretty shocking to our family. My dad was actually doing a postdoctoral fellowship in Virginia at the time. And my parents had to drive quite a ways. uh, So that was in Blacksburg, Virginia, to go get him care. And then we moved to New Jersey, and I was diagnosed when I was 13, in 84. So we've been doing this a while. I know we'll be talking about exercise, and I think the one thing I give my parents a lot of credit for back then was they said, you'll do anything your friend's doing more. It just might have to be, you might have to work a little harder, and Kowalski's can work hard. So we played a lot of sports growing up. We did everything our friends did, and fast forward to today, fortunately, we're doing well. He's healthy. He's a big exerciser guy. my, My son was just telling me. He did a hundred mile ride uh, Saturday. He's a big cyclist. Um, I'm healthy, and uh, you know, in that time frame, I did a PhD in molecular biology. I joined JDRF in 2004 in our research program. I worked a lot on the JDRF artificial pancreas project, which is a great point of pride for me. And three years ago, took on the role of CEO, which is another great point of pride. Uh, running a an organization that my family's been involved in since the 80s and uh, is having a great impact. So it's a, a lot of work type one related, a lot of home type one stuff, but I do turn it off. It's uh, it, but but it's a passion of mine to try to make life better for type one folks. I want to ask you about the message your parents gave you and your brother. They said you can do anything you want with type one. I think those messages that we get when we're diagnosed and kind of in our early years with diabetes are so important. And I'm curious how that message has impacted you in your life since. I think it's the most important message they gave us. And my parents' strategy for us, and remember when my brother was diagnosed, it was urine glucose testing. It was a it was a pretty dark time for 
people with type one. Uh, we had somebody who was completely blinded by type one live right across the street from us when I, when I was diagnosed and she was in her twenties. So there we are confronted with this pretty stark diagnosis and, a, you know, this kind of ancient tools, cow and pig insulin. When I was diagnosed, it was color-based glucose strips. My brother was urine glucose testing. And yet they were like, okay, you're going to go out and do it. And gosh, we embraced that. I mean, we were really competitive in sports growing up, played varsity sports in high school, who uh, worked part-time in high school. My parents always wanted us to work. Uh, and I, you know, if you think back then, um, there weren't a not, there, there wasn't the community that there is today. So it was a little bit interesting in that we kind of leaned on each other for support. It wasn't so easy to connect with other type one people, but that uh, I'll say that I, I didn't let it hold me back. I, uh, really embrace that philosophy. And, I, and, and I'm sure your uh, listeners will appreciate that. It wasn't easy, you know, and it sounds like it was all unicorns and um, rainbows. It wasn't, it was severe lows. Like my brother doesn't sense his lows. He's hyper unaware. Uh, it was disappointments. And like, like I like to, I play competitive golf, like, you know, getting low in a match or whatever, but for all of those, step back, steps back, we would always try to take step, two steps forward. And I think that was important. Yeah. And, get, and getting that permission from your parents and from your doctors to take those steps forward, I think is just so critical. Yeah. Yeah. I, I give them, I give them all the credit and I'll tell you to this day, I, I impart that advice to the parents I meet who have a newly diagnosed child and, and you can rattle off, you know, I'm, I'm whoever, but, you know, you could go to like Justice Sotomayor or, uh, you know, climbing Mount Everest or playing in the NFL or, yeah, you can highlight type one people everywhere doing amazing things. So it is possible, but it is hard work, as you you, you well know. Uh, and you just have to appreciate that that's uh the burden that you carry with this disease and we're trying to make it easier. We have, I think made it a lot easier than back then, but it's still not a piece of cake. <laughs> you know. So I follow you on Facebook and I see that you love running yeah. and you run a lot all over the world. And tell me about why you run so much. Yeah. It's, exercise a, funny, is a, a funny story. It's a funny story. Cause I look up, I have a poster in my office here it's the, the New York City Marathon route. When we were kids, again, six kids, all very active, but we played kind of what I would call traditional sports. I played baseball, basketball, and golf. And uh, we, did the, we did the like, you know, the, the, the usual things, but my dad was a runner and he always loved watching the New York City Marathon every first Sunday in November. And he ran a lot. And we used to always say, God, running is so boring. Like, what are you doing? It's like the worst word ever. And that was my perspective growing up. And then when I became an adult and I was uh, in grad school, I guess, or no, I guess I was at JGRF. Uh, two of my brothers got into running. One of them was actually uh, working at New Balance designing sneakers at the time. And I'm the oldest. And they started kind of razzing me a little bit saying, hey, we're doing a 5K but you're probably too old to keep up with us. 
And I was like, well, we're competitive. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to get out and do this 5K. And I'll tell you, I got out there and I couldn't even run a single block. And I was dying. And I, again, would think of myself as fairly athletic. But I thought, huh, well, if I can walk a block, I can probably just go a little bit faster. And what I did is I just started easing up and easing up. And I realized, okay, you can, your body can build this fitness. And within a few months, I was running three, four, five miles at a time. And my one of those two brothers, he said, hey, we should try to do the New York City Marathon. I was like, holy cow, 26 miles. I'm like, I'm just getting my head around three or four miles. But we were doing it. We were running together, my brother, my sister, and I. And uh, I was like, okay, let's try to do it. And then what we did is we said, let's try to raise some money for JDRF. And we approached the New York Roadrunners. There were all these charities. Because getting in the New York City Marathon at that time was really hard. You would have to put in a lottery. So the one way you could get in was to raise money. And I looked for JDRF. We weren't there. I looked at diabetes. There were no diabetes organizations. So we petitioned the New York Roadrunners to get some charity slots. And we did. And that kind of catalyzed this passion of mine to get out and run. And it's such a good sport for me as I travel so much for work. All you need is a pair of running shoes, a shorts, and a shirt stuff it in the suitcase. And gosh, the things that I've seen around the world, like just in 45 minute blocks, absolutely amazing. And the health benefits, physical and mental, absolutely amazing. So I can't say enough about getting into running. It, 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 uh, it's just been, it's been transformative for me. Tell me about the mental health benefits you've seen from running. Well, I would say when I started running, I was probably the heaviest I've ever been, the benefit of losing some weight that made me feel better, the benefit of uh, just being fitter, you know, just feeling fitter, that made, and then, you know, I never fancied myself in any of the sports I played uh, that I was going to go professional or anything, but I am competitive, and the thing that I love about this is you're just competing against yourself. So you're like, hey, I ran 21 minutes for this 5K. Maybe I could do a second better. And then you do it. And you're like, oh, that's pretty good. Or doing age group or whatever. It's just this, um, whenever, you, whenever I do a workout, I ran with my son this weekend and we did 10 mile run. And it was just so awesome like to finish. It was hard because it was so hot out here. I live in New Jersey. And uh you know, you take the diabetes aside, it just feels good. So I think that it's an underappreciated, huge benefit of exercising as mental health um, boost, boosting, I guess. Yeah. And what I hear you say is that you have this constant theme of, I can, I can, if I can yeah. do this, then I can do anything else. And yeah. it really builds you up. It builds you up. And I always say, like my wife, we, uh, we actually walked the New York city marathon one year, my wife, my parents, it's a, it's a touching, it's a very touching story for me. The one thing um, I'll digress to, because it's just, it's so meaningful for me. So after running the marathon, I've, I've done the New York city marathon seven times, but at, at the time it was like four times or something. And I remember how happy my dad was to come watch 
my siblings and I do it. And I always had a, a more than a tinge of guilt about it because as much as he loved watching that race, he never did it himself. And that was because he worked really hard. He was a scientist too. He worked at Johnson and Johnson and uh, put six kids through college, dealt with two type one kids, like all that comes into parenting, like on steroids. And one year uh, I said uh, for Christmas, I said, Hey dad, I got to do a really unique present this year. You're going to do the New York city marathon. He had, he had not run in probably seven or eight years at this point. And he goes, I don't run anymore. I said, we're going to walk it. Cause you can walk. They, my parents love walking. And, you know, I, I actually have the picture in the background here of us finishing. It was my mom, dad, sister, wife, and I, and uh, it took, took us seven hours and 41 minutes. And I said, I still say to my wife, God, that was such an amazing experience. And she said, but she said, I, I didn't run. I walked. Is that a big deal? And I said, there's very few people who walk, you know, when you look at out there to walk 26 miles is a big deal. So it's just such a boost. And I think, uh, yeah, you can do it. When thinking about expanding your diabetes management toolkit, you may not be thinking about insulin. When it comes down to it, there haven't been a lot of new insulins put in your toolbox. Sure, there are different brands, but nothing really unique when it comes to insulin delivery, except for Afreza. Afreza is unique because it's the only ultra-rapid-acting inhaled insulin available. It's man-made insulin that's breathed in through your lungs and you do to control high blood sugar in adults with diabetes. It starts working quickly without the need for injections at mealtime. Once you inhale a Freza into your lungs using the inhaler, it will start reducing your blood sugar in about 12 minutes. Keep in mind that a Freza must be used with long-acting insulin in people who have type 1 diabetes. To learn more about inhaled insulin, visit www.afreza.com. That's A-F-R-E-Z-Z-A dot com. Afreza is a rapid-acting inhaled insulin used to control high blood sugar in adults with diabetes mellitus. Afreza can cause serious side effects including sudden lung problems and low potassium. Afreza is not for patients with chronic lung disease such as asthma or COPD. Tell your doctor if you smoke, recently stopped smoking, or have kidney or liver problems, a history of lung cancer, or if you are pregnant or breastfeeding. Most common side effects are low blood sugar, cough, and sore throat. Severe low blood sugar can be fatal. Do not replace long-acting insulin with Afreza. Afreza is not for use to treat diabetic ketoacidosis. Do not take Afreza if you are allergic to insulin. Talk to your doctor before changing your Afreza dose. Blood sugar may need to be checked more frequently. What has gotten in the way of running in terms of diabetes for you? What are the, what's been the biggest challenge? Well, I think this what is, story or in general? I think this is the biggest challenge for me is I'm always such a perpetual optimist that people say, oh, you get everything right. And I, I definitely don't get everything right. And I have some, uh, I can give you the probably the biggest disappointment I've ever had with um, exercise and diabetes and running is uh, a big goal of mine when I was really running a lot was to qualify for the Boston Marathon. Uh, it takes a lot of hard work. And again, not being a runner, 
if the your listeners don't know, you have to run a certain time, which is really pretty intense time for most people. So I had made a couple goes at it and just missed. And um, I said one year, okay, I'm going to totally do this. I'm going all in. I'm going to get it right. And man, did I train really hard. I ran all the time and I logged tons of miles. I ran a practice race really, really good, a half marathon. And it was like, I was really running. And I was like, wow, I'm as fit as I've ever been in my life. I'll never forget this. So one of my good friends in diabetes is uh, Lane Despero, who some of the listeners may know is a big guy in the DIY community, a son ass type one. He, and he, uh, and worked at, he worked at Medtronic and Bigfoot. And he's a runner who said, you got to come out to California and run this marathon with me. Uh, it's a fast course and we'll, we'll both qualify for Boston. And the long and short of it is I was a, a Dexcom user and this was in the very early days of Dexcom. And I guess this was the G4 maybe had just come out. And it was like really a big step up in accuracy. And I was like, wow, I'm like really trusting this data. Well, everything set up. I go to bed that night and I woke up in the middle of the night and it felt like I had high blood sugar. I looked at my sensor and it said 160. I'm like, oh. I'm fine. So I did a teeny little correction, but nothing major. I woke up in the morning and I felt like I had high blood sugar still. And I said 160 or something again, but now I test it 340. I was like, Oh my God. Well, now I'm in scramble mode. And if anybody's ever run a marathon, it's all like so scripted out what I eat, how much insulin, how much my basal rates are. Well, I had to change everything. I get to the starting line. My numbers are coming down, but I hadn't eaten anything. I, uh, I'm like force feeding myself like a liquid diet at this point. Well, I get out. I run, <laughs> I ran the first half super fast. I, I remember I ran a 132 first half of the marathon. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. I'm going to kill it. I could, I could set like a record by 10 minutes. Well, I look at my, at this point, my, my butcher is high again. It's like 340. Um, and, and, you know, some people would say I probably shouldn't even have been running. Well, I got to mile like 18 and it was like, I hit a brick wall and I'll never forget. I ended up walking in. I did a 132 first half, 204 second half. And I needed, I wanted to run a 315. So I just I totally missed. And I'll never forget how disappointed I was. And not only was I disappointed, I'll never forget my wife saying, you're going to go out to California for a weekend from New Jersey to run around and having a caller and say, I ran a 136 and I did a, or 127, whatever it was. It was something 10 minutes, for the, whatever, longer. And um, no, it was a 136. And, I, uh, and I'm coming home. And it was just, it was such a bummer. But I'll tell you, I always say every every experience is a learning experience, and I just took it as like my I should have tested my blood sugar. It's like that was really dumb. That was a really dumb thing I did there, and uh, and then I qualified for Boston after that. So there's a happy ending. So, um, but I'll tell you, it is it is the I think the thing that's most frustrating to everybody here who's listening 
and I always talk about this in, in the context of exercise, is no matter how perfect you think you have it figured out, you never have it perfectly figured out with type one. If you're on insulin, you're going to have variables. And what you can do is try to minimize those variables and cut it down. And that's my philosophy is to try to like box in the craziness, but it's never going to be perfect. What you can do is make the best of it. So what tools do you use? Because right now you, you mentioned when your brother and you were diagnosed, we're in the dark ages of diabetes. And now we're kind of in for lack of a better term in the golden age yeah. and only getting better. So what kind of tools do you use in order to minimize those variables and help you have success um, with your blood sugars in general, but also specifically when exercising? Sure. And I'll say, I'll talk about different things that I use. I can't take any money from any companies. So any, this is all my personal perspective. Um, the, uh, well, I'll take a step back. When I played golf in high school, I played on the team. You know, we had three shots a day of regular and MPH insulin, finger poking. And I remember my golf bag. I used to have six juice boxes, multiple granola bars, multiple bananas. And I would eat most everything during a nine-hole match. Like, it was just a constant fight to not go low. And the thing that is so different now is the ability, of course, to see with a CGM your blood sugar. I mean, that's such a godsend. So I, I, I use the tandem uh, control IQ pump, having that data on my screen, on the phone, on the pump, amazing. I switched to a pump about eight or nine years ago, maybe now, gosh, maybe 10 or 12 years, I lose track of time, but uh, that's a big change. Uh, it's interesting. I went from loop to tandem. One thing that most people don't appreciate with the, the hybrid closed loops is that you can actually control multiple profiles on your pump. So I actually have a couple different profiles that I use to do closed loop and exercise. And I think a lot of people, I, I've heard a lot of people say the exercise setting on the tandem, for example, is not enough. I continue to go low. And I don't have that problem because what I do is I have a basal profile for like golf, for example, that is a much lower basal rate. And then the control IQ is working off of that rate, but you can't get crazy amounts of insulin on board. And that's what I always tell people that exercise and diabetes rule number one, two, and three is insulin on board. It's all about insulin on board. So I do hybrid closed loop. I have different profiles depending on the type of exercise I'm doing, which is something that I'm really sensitive to. And then I use inhaled insulin, uh, a Freza, uh, is a, a tremendous tool for me for, I call a Freza carbs correction and um, exercise. Because again, if you think of insulin on board, Afreza has that super fast profile with the, the short tail. And I, I, I taught JDRF as an exercise program called JDRF Peak, as you know, that uh, teaches about different forms of exercise and how to do it. And a lot of people, they exercise when they have too much insulin in their system and they crash. And I always say, well, if you don't have insulin in your system, you can't get low. Like that's like a mental thing that most people don't under, like they're like, huh. 
I'm like, you literally can't get low if there's no insulin in your body. So that means if you know that, then you're thinking about how much insulin do I actually need at any given moment? Don't get too much. And if you work from that profile, then you start saying, well, like if you're marathon running, but I want to eat something. And that's where inhaled insulin becomes really helpful. Because if you eat something, like if I'm over, I'm looking actually over towards Staten Island right now, the start of the New York City Marathon, eat all this food and then do a big bolus and the tail is three to four hours, well, you're going to be chasing that. If you have a tail of 45 minutes to an hour, then you're like, okay, well, now I have something to work with. So hybrid closed loop for me, inhaled insulin is another big tool that I use. I do it for carbs correcting and exercise, but exercise is a, it's an awesome tool. Yeah, and having those tools in your toolbox is just so freeing to be able to oh, exercise without huge. fear, to be able to huge. do the things that you want to do and not have to worry about your blood sugars as much. Exactly, exactly. It's uh, it's such a uh, it's such a difference. Like I I harp on golf here because I, I love golf and it's for me. It's in New Jersey. It's the season and golf. I often see so many people getting super low on the golf course with type one. And you know, many people just don't think, oh man, I'm walking six and a half miles. If you're walking the course, uh, you're swinging a club, you're thinking it's four hours. And I, my brother has been carted off twice in ambulances off a golf course. So like nowadays, I rarely worry about going low on the course because of I like I have these tools. I couldn't have done that 10 years ago. And that's a that's just a whole different ball game. And it's it's pretty sweet. <laughs> well, awesome, Aaron. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been an awesome conversation. And I know my listeners are going to enjoy your story and hearing the tools that you use to manage your diabetes. Well, thanks for all you do. It's a it's an amazing community. I'm so glad nowadays I started out by saying we didn't have that community back when I uh, grew up. And the fact that we can share this type of information, com- compare battle stories and help people do better is something that I'm passionate about. And I'm thankful that you do so well. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. That does it for this episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor. Share it with a friend. Put a link in a text message or an email and send it to them and let them know they enjoy it too. That really helps me get the word out about this podcast so more people can benefit. And of course, I always love hearing from you. So please send me an email to mark at thediabetespsychologist.com or DM me on Instagram at thediabetespsychologist. And be sure to tune in next Thursday for a brand new episode of the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. Remember, type 1 diabetes is not easy but you can have an easier time with it. And I'll see you next week, same time, same place. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening. For more resources, you can visit www.thediabetespsychologist.com and be sure to sign up for the email list for access to exclusive content. I'm Dr. Mark Heyman, and tune in next time for the latest episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast.